0: to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am Chuck Kalazi. Today is Thursday, <laughs> February the 29th, 2024. It is a uh, leap year day, and uh, it's also the Thursday of the second week of Lent. And today's reading is from the gospel according to St. Luke. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen, and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, And from the nether world where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime while Lazarus received likewise what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you there is a great chasm that has been established to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours or from your side to ours. He then said, I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, oh, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. Okay, so first of all, Jesus is so smart. I'm always saying this. (laughs) He's brilliant. The way he tied this all together, and he's referring ultimately to his own resurrection. And look at how many people around us today live their lives as if they will never be judged, even though someone has risen from the dead. Our Lord, after dying for us to save us from hell, God Almighty died on a cross, and yet we ignore that. This man, the God-man who died and was in the tomb three days, rose from the dead, and yet we ignore that. He says, well, what about Moses and the prophets? Well, if they don't acknowledge Jesus died on the cross for us and risen from the dead, they're not going to acknowledge Moses and the prophets. But anyway, that's, that's a huge part of this reading. That's a huge part of the meaning of the reading. But I wanted today to talk a little bit about, and it's always just a topic of uh, conversation, a topic of reflection, rich versus poor. You know, there's poor people that are not very nice, and there's rich people that are absolutely wonderful. But Jesus, in this parable, doesn't get into what kind of person Lazarus was or what kind of person uh, the rich man was. Rather, he simply has one as rich and one as poor. One had comfort in his life. One had no comfort. Now, in other places, Jesus will say, it's very, very difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But here, he's not saying that. He's just saying one went to heaven, one went to hell. And he's not directly saying it's because one was rich and one was poor. But it is kind of an indirect uh, statement here that Jesus is making. The rich man had everything he needed. I think one thing that's crucial is if they knew each other, well, then that's a big problem for, well, I mean, on a on a earthly level, it was a problem for the poor man because he didn't have what he needed, even though he lived right near that rich man. Whereas the rich man, well, if there were poor people around him that he didn't help, then yeah, Jesus will later say, I'm separating the sheep and the goats. Those that fed me when I was hungry, they will go to heaven. Those that clothed me when I was naked, those who did not do such things for me in my poor will go off to the eternal fire. So I would like to just sum it up by saying this, and I think we all get this. It's easier to be saved when you're poor. It's harder to be saved when you're rich. (coughs) See, we in our country today, in our society today, we and Christians today, we want to have it all. We want to have comfort in our lives and all the money that we need, and yet at the same time, we want to have just enough God that we can say we have him, we can enjoy his presence, and we can go to heaven. But the reality is, very few people achieve that balance. And yeah, I mean, if I guess it's okay if there's a balance that we can seek, where we... Uh, you know, you have a comfortable life and you're still going to heaven. That's great. That's fantastic. Good for you. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, and I think he really is saying, well, and he says it in the parables. I mean, the uh, Beatitudes, such as the Beatitudes, according to Luke, woe to those who are rich now. Woe to those who are comfortable now. Woe to those that have everything they need right now, because you will be wanting later. And blessed are they who are poor. So in terms of, you know, judgment, we're not going to be judged based on how much money we had for good or for ill. We're going to be judged on the state of our souls. God knows our hearts, but it still is the reality that the poor have an easier time being saved and the rich have a harder time being saved. Let's give some examples of this wherever the church is poor, the church is more faithful. If you go to Haiti right now, I think it's the poorest country in the world. I think like 95% of the country is practicing Catholic. And when you go to one of their churches, they sing, they dance, they're there for hours. They wear their best clothing, even though they don't have much clothing. And it's absolutely a beautiful experience. You go to your typical American church right now. I know this is going to offend people, but isn't that the point of a lot of what Jesus does? It's not about offending people. It's about preaching the truth. American churches in the past 40 years have been built to look like circus tents. A lot of them have. The dignity is gone. The reverence is gone. The more money we have, the uglier our churches are. The beautiful churches in our inner cities were built by poor immigrants. Putting them together one brick at a time, and yet they're still magnificent. And do we worship in this country? The rich in our country, for the most part, do not worship. Football comes first. And you are absolutely crazy if you even suggest that it should be otherwise. How could I go to church? I have to tailgate, I have to get drunk at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. To get ready for the four o'clock Eagles football game. I mean, for me in my area, it's the Eagles. I'm sure, other people have their own teams, but it's absurdity to say that we should put God first. You know, you can still watch the game later. Guess what? It's still going to be on, and it's family day. You can sit with your family, watch a game. There's no sin in that. But we're called to put God first. But our numbers continue to drop. While the numbers for entertainment and sports continue to rise, we look at churches in the Middle East where Christians are being killed, slaughtered, martyred, and these people are dirt poor and yet their numbers are still high. They could be martyred by going to church and yet the church is packed. Young families all packed into the church on a Sunday. So it looks like, I mean, and this is just always the trend of our faith over the centuries. The poorer we are, the more faithful we are. The richer we are, the more we leave God behind. Mother Teresa would talk all the time about, I mean, there's so many examples. If you're hungry, go to a poor family. They'll feed you because they know how to stretch the food. They know how to make it work. They know how to share. If there's unborn babies in America that are not wanted because we're so rotten, spoiled, she said, send them to Calcutta. There's dirt poor families with 10 kids that would gladly accept number 11 and make sure everyone was taken care of. I remember a friend of mine that was in the seminary who was stationed in an inner city parish and sometimes he would just pretend he was homeless just to go minister to the homeless people and just be with them and learn from them, spend time with them. And they were always sharing their food. And he didn't want to offend them, so he would eat their food, even though sometimes he thought it was disgusting compared to his standards and and most American standards. But he said it was an incredible experience. These people, somebody would get a sandwich and they'd make a big deal about it and they'd share half the sandwich with somebody else, even though they were starving. It's a different mentality. Jesus says, if we are poor, we, I mean, he's saying this in so many different ways, We have a much better chance of being saved. If we are rich, there is an orientation that we have about life that says, I need what I need. I want what I want. I need to make it all about me. I was noting (laughs) to, well, I, I just took note of something today regarding a particular person in my life. And I know a lot of people that do this. And I have to admit, I've been guilty of doing this. But this is a rich thing. Um, when getting, I, I just noticed someone that I'm close to does this and I think it's funny and I I plan on telling this person that I've observed this just because, you know, I'm working on myself and I'm learning more and I, I keep continuing to grow, hopefully God willing. And I noticed this person does what I used to do and, and maybe I still do this. It's called, uh, framing a person when you are, um, talking to them. Maybe when you're leading a discussion, teaching a class, uh, giving a lecture. But definitely, I mean, it's something that happens in a one-on-one conversation that really should not have. What I mean by framing is like making sure like it's, it's not a conversation of equality that two people have, but rather the controlling person. And usually this is more of the the rich people, the the people in charge. They need to frame you and frame the conversation. They, They let you know what the questions are. They interrupt you while you're answering. And then they give commentary after you've answered. And they make sure that they're in control of the room. Either they just set up the conversation and the situation the way they want it before the conversation begins. Or maybe if they're just a spectator, still... They have to uh, make themselves known. Let's just say it's a class. They'll get up five times to just let everybody know that they're there. And they ask certain questions and they make certain comments because they need to be the boss. They need to be in charge. And so there's, I I think it's called framing. You've kind of framed the other person. Even body language indicates like, okay, you might have something to say, but I'm in charge here. I'm going to control what's happening here. So I was thinking too of a story that, um, I don't know. I I forget where I heard this. It's just like a little cute little story. It's not that cute though, about heaven and hell. Um, I've just heard that it was said in hell, there's lots and lots and lots of really, really good food and you have to use spoons to eat the food. And the spoons are so long, you can't possibly hold the handle of the spoon And put the other end of the spoon in your mouth. And as a result, you go forever and ever and ever looking at this food and you're not able to eat it in heaven. It's the same thing. It's amazing food. Everybody gets a spoon. The spoons are really long, but in heaven, people know that the only way to eat this amazing food is you have to feed each other and then it works. And then everybody can enjoy. So once again, it gets back to this idea That when we have an attitude of sharing, when we have an attitude of humility, when we have an attitude of selflessness that often comes with the poor, then our hearts are better ready for judgment day and salvation. But when we don't have that because it's all about me and I need to get what I want and I need to have what I want and I need to build up my own wealth more and more and my own influence and attention and whatever it is that makes me feel happy and healthy and wealthy and secure, then um, that's just those kind of people. That kind of situation makes salvation that much harder. There's not going to be any sharing of food among those people. And uh, this is just something for us to take note of in our country today. We're so wealthy, we want more and more and more. I mean, just think about the basic things that we have. It's not enough to have one microwave or one refrigerator in your house. There have to be a couple spaced out around the building. It's not enough to have one air conditioner growing up. I remember not having any air conditioning and then one or two units were put in certain walls and we'd all get near them in the summertime. Now everybody's got to have central air. I mean, we can go on and on and on the list. is just endless. Jesus is saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to be saved. <clears throat> I had mentioned the other day, it's not just something impossible, or a seemingly ridiculous image, but it's also a reference to something kind of funny and very real for these people. There was a gate in the temple called the Eye of the Needle, and if you wanted to avoid the long lines at the main gate... And all the people that had to be stopped because of all the different people at the gates and the inspections and everything, you would take your camel and your stuff and you'd go around to the eye of the needle. You'd have to unload your camel, bring your stuff through, and then still you'd have to squeeze that camel through that little gate and the camel would make all kinds of embarrassing noises and you'd have to push from one side and pull from the other. And Jesus says, this is what we look like trying to be saved when we're so caught up in our creature comforts that we neglect salvation, we neglect kindness and charity. So we ask the Lord through the intercession of Our Lady. Think about Our Lady. She has everything. She's the most wealthy person in the universe, and she always was. And yet on earth, they had nothing. There was no room for them in the inn. They lived in poverty. She never, I mean, they had enough. They, they trusted in providence, and therefore they had what they needed. And it wasn't that they were trying to be poor. They just didn't go beyond what they needed. They had what they needed for a good, happy, healthy, holy life. And yet look what they had. She's the immaculate conception. Jesus is the God man, the son of God. And they had endless amounts of happiness and joy, which is what we're called to. If we're able to be like those camels, (laughs) let everything go, do whatever it takes, make the embarrassing noises we need to make. In order to, uh, to get through those pearly gates. Anyway, have a great day. God bless you.